Father, I thank you this morning that you've given us this opportunity to come and just be able to open your word, Father, and to be able to understand the things that you have given us through Jesus and the sacrifice that has been made and the price that's been paid to give us all of this. Help us to believe it, God, and not corrupt it. And I pray that you give me the anointing of the Holy Spirit to be able to speak this word this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to be I'm going to begin in the book of Hebrews this morning. So if you want to turn there, um, I would invite you to do it. We're going to end up in Colossians. Uh, I hope today uh, I've been talking about the enemies of the new covenant and I'm going to continue that at least today, maybe into next week. But I believe it is very important that we study this and 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 look at it. I'm I'm just going to read a portion of a of a chapter that I wrote in this book. Satan is counting on you. And I just while you're getting your notes ready and your Bible ready, just listen to this. Many noble believers struggle to give up Moses. They pollute the kingdom of God with the unholy mixture of combining the new covenant with the old covenant. The kingdom of God. Mighty and destructive against all of hell's lies and deceptions is rendered ineffective by the compromise of an unbelieving church system. Luke reveals that the law and the prophets were until John. Something changed with the end of John's ministry and the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Luke says, since that time the kingdom of God is preached and every man presses into it. What does this mean? What has changed? What notable occurrence did Jesus bring? John testifies, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus. So with the advent of Jesus, the old covenant was closing. Jesus was fulfilling it that it might be removed. When Jesus came, the preaching changed. Now the proclamation was good news of grace and truth. The apostles heralded the kingdom of God. Teaching the things that concern the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 28.31 The kingdom of God is manifested by the life of God's spirit. Not in rituals and traditions. The kingdom of God was not present in the law. In ordinances and temples and disciplines. Even though God gave these. For the kingdom of God is not in meat and drink. As Paul said to the Romans. Those who seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, which is in the Holy Spirit, above everything else, will be cared for by the kingdom. If the kingdom is manifest through the gospel, and it is not in meat and drink, which is laws, rituals, and principles, but in the Holy Ghost, then Satan is frantic to shut up the kingdom of God through forms and ceremonies. If he cannot get the man to deny Jesus, he will try to prevent believers from giving up Moses. Put the new wine into the old wineskins and all is lost. Satan knows this. So if the new covenant is to put, be put into the old covenant's wineskin, all will be lost and Satan will win the day. How many noble believers today struggle to give up Moses? And there's too many to count. They pollute the kingdom of God with the unholy mixture of combining the new covenant with the old covenant. The kingdom of God, powerful and destructive against all of hell's lies and deceptions, is rendered ineffective by the compromise of an unbelieving church system. Just consider the, stain, the strain that believers were putting upon one another 
in an effort to be godly. So bad was this mixture that Paul feared the Galatians had fallen from grace and Jesus was no longer beneficial to them. Among the Romans, holiness was constituted by what they could and could not eat. Paul decried them by saying righteousness is not in food, it is in Christ. Furthermore, a man who has obtained righteousness through the merits of another is humble and would desire the righteousness or that righteousness for all others. The kingdom of God is not in prohibitions and self-denial. Such, such actions may make a Pharisee, but never a Christian. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For you neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. By strenuous religious observance and holy disciplines, those who cannot give up Moses will damn multitudes by keeping them from Christ and faith. They pray to be seen of men. Paul warned preachers would come denying the power of God. They would, however, surely achieve a form of godliness. This form of godliness which denies the power of God is the devil's exploitation. Take away the Holy Ghost and grace and you have taken away the kingdom of God. Oh, these preachers don't omit the words of grace, nor do they verbally deny the Holy Ghost. All they have to do is add Moses. Put the new wine, grace and truth, into the old wineskins, the old covenant, and the skin will burst and all is lost. Because of this determination to mix laws, forms, and rituals with grace, freedom, and faith, the kingdom of God is often rendered ineffective. These dry professors who have mixed Moses with Christ seek to set the standard for life, holiness, and sanctification. They have devastated the church and have left countless souls shipwrecked. They renounce the new covenant preacher with the same volatile hate that Moses' preacher spewed at Jesus. Then, by their self-achieved godliness, declare themselves to be the standard and cry, This is Christ, the abominable worship of that flesh. Only the Holy Ghost can say, this is Christ. Enemies of the cross is what Paul called these preachers who would hold allegiance to Moses. If allowed, they will rob believers of their life and power. We have all seen this happen. We have all seen times when those who profess Jesus have lost their wonder of Christ. And the world no longer wonders what they are. The people who are supposed to live supernatural lives of power have become predictable, controlled, refined, and dead. The absence of the gospel of God's grace leaves a man without the power to be any different. All he can do is clean the outside, but within he is filled with death. Without the baptism in the Holy Ghost, a man knows what God can do, but he does not have the faith and vitality to believe for God to do that in him. He is left with the ability of his flesh. What are you left with if you have not the spirit of Christ? Forms of godliness. No comfort, no power, no authority. Pulpits are left barren of prophets. The perishing are damned by the brains of men and their empty speeches of God. Bags of hot air, words and men without power. 
There is nothing good in ourselves, and all religious men know this. Multitudes strive to produce some good out of their bad selves. It is this pursuit that shuts up the kingdom of God. This effort to produce something good, and by that offer to God our worship, is the very thing that keeps us from His grace. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. A work of grace, and listen to this, a work of grace is the Holy Spirit coming into your life and disgracing yourself. The highest holiness for the creature is to walk in self-renunciation and continual dependence upon the indwelling Holy Ghost. Nothing but a work of grace can take the man who wants, wanted to be like God. To renounce himself as a complete disgrace and believe that only God is good and greatly to be praised. Read what you will, confess, repent, fight, discipline, strive, be accountable to people. But unless the Holy Spirit is the life, power, and means, you will fail. You will never pray right without the Holy Ghost. You will never give right without the Holy Ghost. You will never forgive rightly without the Holy Ghost. You will never preach right without the Holy Ghost. You will never overcome sin without the Holy Ghost. Learn all the Bible you want. Study and memorize, yet you will not be free. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And the Spirit of the Lord is in the New Covenant. And that is that which he moves through and in. In the book of Hebrews chapter 7, I wanted to back some of this up with the scriptures. He tells us in verse 11 of Hebrews 7. If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law. What further need was there of there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek? And not be called after the order of Aaron. And that just simply means a new priesthood was being instituted that was not after Aaron or the Levites. Why would there have to be a new priesthood? Because there's a new covenant that is coming. For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law, which is covenant. A contract. An agreement. And the Bible says... If you will continue down to verse 22, this just for the sake of time, I encourage you to read it all. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better covenant, a better testament. Chapter 8, verse 1. Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. Jesus not coming from the Levites. Jesus, however, being a priest by the order of Melchizedek and an oath of God, established a new covenant that's better than the old covenant. And he is this minister and our high priest that represents us. And he tells us this in verse 8, because this was the problem with the first covenant. It wasn't a problem with the covenant or the law, because it was holy and just and right. The problem was with us. We could not do it. We still cannot do it. 
Even though you're born again, you still cannot do it. And he says in verse 8, for finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Now listen to these words, very important in verse 9. Not according to the covenant. That I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. This new covenant is not according to that one. It's totally different. New priest, new representative, new covenant, new promises, new blood that is used. Not like the old. Not like the old. Because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds. This is grace. This is God affecting. This is what grace means. The divine influence of God upon your heart, your mind, your life. God himself, not an angel, not Michael, not Gabriel, not a preacher. But God himself writing on your heart his nature. So it's not just the outward being godly. It is actually the inward part of man where God begins to put his nature into that heart and into that mind. And you don't have to have a code written on tablets that says you shall not kill. Because within the heart of everyone who's born again is the nature of God that despises the very temptation to do that. They've been changed there. So this is the covenant. I will put my laws into their minds. That's grace. And write them in their hearts. That's grace. I will be to them a God. That's grace. And they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother. Saying know the Lord. For all shall know me from the least to the greatest. Because I'm a living them all. I'm not just going to come upon a high priest. And you got to travel to Jerusalem. To have somebody talk to me for you. I'm going to live in you. And he says, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. Isn't that great? Would to God that the church would be merciful to one another in their unrighteousness. Because God says, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. And their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. In that he says a new covenant, he's made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. In chapter 10, verse 9, Jesus said, I've come to take that old one away. To establish the new one. And so that's what happens when you come into Jesus Christ. You are turning from the old covenant to the new covenant. You are turning from an old covenant that basically said, do this and live. Don't do this and die. To a new covenant that says, believe. Believe in God's Son and live. Believe. And, will, and, and His righteousness and His holiness will be imputed to you. And this is, this is very, very important. Now, now, the problem that comes in with this is that the disciples, if you will, of Moses, and I don't mean to degrade Moses. He's just a figurehead of the law. Moses actually loved grace. Moses lived in grace for 80 years of his life, and he loved grace. He longed for the coming of Jesus. Jesus said he rejoiced in my day because Moses saw that what, what he was instituting would end in Jesus Christ because he knew we wouldn't keep it. Moses knew we wouldn't keep it. So Moses was a man of grace. I, I don't want you to misunderstand. That, But we're talking about the Judeo ceremony that was established under the works of the flesh and the keeping of the law. And men began to think, this is how you become holy. You need this law to regulate your life. 
And so that's, that's why people or how people have understood the law of Moses to be. And I'm not just talking about ceremonial laws or washing laws. I'm talking about the whole thing. The whole thing. The outward commandments written in stone. Second Corinthians 3 talks about that. Talking about the whole thing. And so the disciples of Moses find it very difficult to believe that if you don't impose law and restrictions and dress codes and behavior codes, then the church of Jesus Christ is going to live however it wants to live. And you're giving believers a license to sin. And that's what they accused Paul of in his gospel. That's what the disciples of Moses, the Pharisees and Sadducees, went around accusing Moses of. He is giving people the permission to sin by preaching grace. So Paul has to write a letter. And in several of his letters, he has to refer to this. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Why did he have to say that? Because he was being accused Of preaching a grace that let people sin. Jude calls these people enemies of the cross. Because they make the grace of God licentiousness. Which is to delve into sin. And the grace of God will not allow you to do that. And that is why Hebrews 10 says that if we trample his grace that way, we infuriate the spirit of grace, which is the Holy Ghost. Because you're telling the Holy Ghost, you can't keep your children in line. You need to write it on some tablets of stone and beat them into obedience. And the Holy Spirit says, no, that's not how we're doing this. And it infuriates the Holy Spirit. So it's a, it's a thing of nature that God has given to us and that God plants into our life. And so people may think, well, I'm not Jewish and I've never been Jewish and I've never been under the law of Moses and I've never been under a Judeo system. So Paul deals with us Gentiles in the same way because we serve God by the law of conscience. And we still, as as human beings, are still trying to put ourselves under this law of conscience or this, this law system of religion that says, if we will do good and be good and act good and look holy and talk right and dress right, then we'll be right with God and we can go to heaven when we die. Every religion among men is this effort to appease the gods by sacrifice and works. The only religion that is coming to this earth that does not teach that is the new covenant, the grace of God, the kingdom of this, of the gospel of this kingdom says that God will do it because you can't. God will save you because you can't save yourself. God will sanctify you because you can't sanctify yourself. God will impute righteousness to you, pay for all of your sins and remove them from himself and he will never remember them again. And he'll be merciful to you sinners. He'll be merciful to your unrighteousness. Not at your attempt to be good and say, Oh, I've really been trying to walk holy. And God says, I know you have. You fasted three days. You really tried. You had a moment lapse of insanity. and you, But I, that's okay. Because you really were trying really hard. No, he just says, I'll be merciful to your unrighteousness. What else is he going to do? We're all unrighteous. 
What else is he going to do but that to give us hope and to give us life? And so Paul deals with that in Romans 2, particularly about the Gentiles who live under a law. But in the book of Galatians, Paul also deals with this, for the Galatians were also those who lived mainly as as Gentiles lived. And I wanted you to see this in Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. I, I believe this gospel is the essence of and power that will, the only thing that will help our culture. The only thing that will bring salvation to it. And in Galatians chapter 3, it says this. Very important that, that you read this. It says, verse 11, no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident. For the just shall live by faith, and the law is not of faith. But the man that does them shall live in them. The law is not of faith. You know why the law is so so popular? You know why the law is so effective among humanity? And why there's so many religions, and every religion typically has some kind of law that's inserted into it. And churches have done that over the centuries. We've inserted our laws and our traditions and our ceremonies. And, you know, we have all of these rules and these do's and these don'ts and everything like that. And that's what that's what makes us Christians or followers of Jesus Christ. And we have this form of godliness, but inside we've denied the very power of God Law is very important because it's logical. It makes sense. The law is logical. And it's logical because it bears witness with your conscience. The law is just simply confirming what you and your conscience, if it's not seared, you and your conscience already know. There's just something in you because you're creating the image of God when you're about to steal something from somebody. You just know it's not right. Even a baby, even a the smallest of children know in their conscience when they're about to do something wrong. Because you can tell a, a one-year-old or however, 18 months, you can tell this little baby is sitting at a kitchen table with a cookie jar right there and, and mom's fixing the baby's lunch or whatever it might be. You can't have a cookie till you, uh, till you eat your dinner. And mom's over there working and, and over here and, and, and baby's looking at mom reaching for the cookie jar. He knows in his conscience, I'm doing something wrong. And that's why the law is so popular. It makes sense. It makes sense. It's not a faith. Faith can be illogical. Faith can be that which doesn't seem to add up to the facts. It doesn't seem to be the way that's going to work. What do you mean? March around Jericho. And not make a sound. And this is going to give us the city. This doesn't make sense. What do you mean bathe in the Jordan River? It just doesn't make sense. What do you mean go to the lake and catch a fish and pull the money out to pay taxes? That doesn't make sense. Tell me to go build a fishing boat and tell me to go fish for a week and make a good catch. And then take those proceeds and come and sell the fish. And then we can pay our taxes and be good citizens of Jerusalem and Rome. That makes sense. And it doesn't require any faith for Peter to go and fish for a week and make some money. And that's the way it is with the law. The law is logical. And so God gave the law so he could speak to every man 
everywhere and convince every man everywhere your conscience tells you you have offended me and I wrote just ten commandments to affirm to you you have offended me. And you have broken this moral code. You are under my judgment and under my wrath. There is no pardon. You're going to die. That's it. The soul that sins, it shall die. And with that judgment, what were, what were men supposed to do? Mercy. I have no excuse. Mercy. Oh, righteous judge. Omnipotent God. Before whom nobody can hide. I am guilty. Is there any mercy? And God says, that's what the law was teaching you to ask. Here's mercy. My son, Jesus. And if you want this mercy, you have to give up this system of works. And thinking that though you have broken my law, you can erase your bad deeds by good deeds. No. You have to totally come out of this system of thinking there's anything good in you. You have to admit... Everything is bad in you. And you have to step out into that on my complete mercy. And you will find that I am kind and forgiving and good. And I will give to you the holiness that I demand which you could never produce. And I will make you righteous in my sight as though you have never sinned. Because I will remove your sins in a just way. And you will be forgiven. You can't straddle this. And say oh I get saved by grace. By putting my faith in Jesus Christ. But I get sanctified by towing the line. And through the effort of my flesh. Try to pray more. Try to read more. Be a better tither. Be a better church attender. And I try to work all this up in my flesh. And my emotions are constantly done. Dominating me, and all this makes sense. It all makes sense that, all right, this is how we should live our life, but that's not the life of faith. And whatever's not of faith is sin. So if you've been delivered from the law, and you have been brought into the new covenant, which is a life of faith, and now you're in this life of faith, and you continue from that point on to try to live by law, you're no longer living by faith. And whatever is not of faith is sin. You're back in sin. And that was the problem with the Galatians. And Paul says, you have fallen from grace. Jesus has, is of no effect for you, if this is the case. Look at, look at the beginning of chapter 3 of Galatians. And he says this, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth crucified among you? This only what I learn of you, received you the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Are you so foolish having begun in the spirit? 
Are you now made perfect in the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He, therefore, that ministers to you the Spirit and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? And then he talks about Father Abraham, who did it by faith. He believed God and he walked with God. This was counted to him for righteousness. And so what Paul puts against each other is faith and works, spirit and flesh, grace and law. You started in faith and you're going to try to end this life in works. The enemies of the cross will try to get you there. You started this life in the spirit and you're going to try to finish in the flesh. Why would you do that? You started this life in grace. And you're going to try to finish in the law. Why would you do that? Who bewitched you? Who did this to you? How did it happen so quickly? Who did this to you? And then Paul goes on in Galatians chapter 3. Down down that chapter and into chapter 4. And he, and he even says this. Look at this. He says... Um, Verse 21 of chapter 4 of Galatians, tell me you that desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? He Listen, he's talking to Christians. He's talking to people who were born again. He's talking to people who did step out of the old covenant and into the new covenant, the mercy of God and the grace of God. He's talking, but people, lawyers, Moses' people, Moses' evangelists trailed behind Paul. And when Paul had to leave the church at Galatia, these false teachers came in unaware, spying everything out, looking at their liberty and was trying to bring them back under the flesh back under works, and back under law. Why? Because we want to see how much sin we can get away with. No. Because if you're going to be holy, this is what you have to do. No. If I'm going to be holy, this is who I have to believe. I have to believe Him. I have to receive Him. If His Spirit, if I will allow His Spirit to come to me, then the Holy Spirit of God, according to Titus chapter 2 verse 11, that the grace of God that has appeared will teach me how to live godly and righteously and soberly in this present world. And how to deny ungodliness. So what does that mean? It means this, there's a lot of people in our churches that come to church and they're not really born again. So they can practice sin and live in sin. Say, oh, well, I'm under grace, you know, because I've confessed Jesus as my Lord. But they've never been born again. So they continue in sin and they have no, they have a conscious conviction of it. But they don't have a fatherly, God the Father conviction or chastening in their spirit. What does Hebrews chapter 12 teach us? That if you really are children of God and you're not illegitimate. And you as one of God's true children gets off track, goes into sin, begins to be enticed with rebellion. Your heavenly father is going to discipline you. So there are many people in our churches that just live their life one day after the next with this form of godliness. But they're denying the grace of God in their life. 
And they've worked very hard to give the appearance, because that's all a form of godliness is. I have a desire to make an appearance to you, for you to think I'm okay. And, and, and that's how a lot of people live their lives. But when a person is truly born of God, you're born again. The Spirit of the Lord actually comes inside of you. Is there a, listen to me guys, is there a greater influence on the planet than God himself? Is there a greater encourager? Is there a greater power? Is there a greater strength than the Holy Spirit himself coming up inside of you? And if you will, with his finger writing in your mind his nature. Writing in your heart, weaving into your heart his very nature. The heart of what you love. What you desire, what you want, the Holy Spirit comes inside of that heart and he begins to change those desires so that they are desires that go after God. And that's why Jesus would be able to say, you've heard it said that an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You've heard it said that a man shall not murder. But I say, grace says to you that if you hate in your heart, because that's where grace goes to the heart. I'm going to change your life by changing your heart and changing your mind. Because I'm going to come and live inside of you. And I'm going to put people around you. And I'm going to put ministry around you. That's going to affirm and confirm the things that I'm doing in your life. And it will be incredibly joyful. It will be incredibly wonderful to be able to walk with God the Holy Spirit like this. Because this is the single most desire of every human being that has ever lived. We are created to be intimate with God. And only through the righteousness and the blood of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit can anybody be intimate with God. And this gift is a gift of grace. That God gives to any and all who will simply believe him. And receive. And God will begin to change your life. You will be a new creature. And you will not be able to boast in yourself. Saying well, this is what I did. I picked myself up by my bootstraps. It was because of you know. My personal desires for holiness. It was because of my personal. Um, exercisings of discipline. No you will be able to say. I am what I am. By the grace of God. And his grace was not given to me in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. But it was not me, it was the grace of God that was with me. I cannot attribute anything good in my life to my flesh. Because Paul would also say to the Romans in chapter 7, There is in me, that is in my flesh, no good thing. Wow, you talk about joyful liberty and freedom when you really are able to have that revelation. Very few people have that revelation. Most people that fill up our churches are still trying to find a little good thing to offer God. When you get to the place where you realize there's absolutely no, and this is a revelation, okay? Every one of us could say it. It's like Tozer said, you know, um, we can call ourselves worms all we want, but when your wife calls you a worm, you're going you're gonna to understand you never meant it because how dare you call me that, you know? 
Let somebody call you a liar and see how offended you get. But when the Bible says in one of the commandments, you shall not bear false witness, you would agree, yes, I'm a liar. But if somebody calls you a liar, how mad are you going to get? Because you really don't believe it. You think you're a good person. But when you come to the revelation that I'm not good at all, and there's nothing good in me. There's nothing that I can contribute to what Jesus Christ has done. I should just receive from him what he's given me and then receive that grace. Then I am what I am by the grace of God. God's done this in my life. God's changed me in my life. God's working through my life. I have an incredible prayer life. You know why? The grace of God. I have, I have an incredibly intimate time with God and his word. You know why? The grace of God. I have an insatiable desire to worship God because of the grace of God. I have an insatiable desire to be around Christians and be around the body of Christ. I can't get enough of it. You know why? The grace of God. The grace of God. The grace of God will not let me live life on my own terms and makes no excuse for my sin, but deals with my sin Head on with mercy and strength and kindness and forgiveness. And that makes me love my father all the more. Just love him all the more. So why are you what you are? And I suppose that if we would be liberated into the new covenant fully and completely with all faith. We would probably have a very difficult time getting to church on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night with all of the people who want to go with you. Because everything you are is their created desire by God to have. And when they see the demonstration of that grace, that favor, that love. Like the Bible says, they will pull on your coattail and say, can I go with you to the house of God? Because what you got is what I long for. It's not religion. It's not me trying to do better. It's not me trying to be better. It is a God who will come into my life and do all of this in me. And I see that in you and I long for that. I want you to pray with me for just a moment. Next week, we'll close this with Colossians and um, how to maintain our faith and our walk with God in the new covenant. Father, I, I pray in, in the name of Jesus, Lord, that, that you would give us just a great revelation of your grace and your favor that we have through Jesus Christ. We don't have that by any works of our own, but, but by Jesus Christ, we have access to you through Jesus, through his blood. We have sanctification through the Holy Spirit. We have correction and conviction and we have growth and we have maturity. And thank you, Lord. I thank you that you're so personally involved in our life. I thank you that you care so much. That you didn't leave us with rules to try to obey. That you didn't say, do the best that you can. And when you've done the best that you can, then I'll give you the little nudge to do more. Oh, God, thank you. That's not what grace is. Because grace just does it all. Even makes me work hard in the faith. 
It's grace. And I thank you, Lord. It's not logical. It's not logical. It doesn't make sense. For those, Father, that are stuck in Moses, there are many arguments that come up in their mind that they grapple with. But Lord, I thank you for the generations and the millions that have seen your grace, walked in your spirit, seen nations turn, seen societies converted because of this grace of God, because of this new covenant, because of your precious Holy Spirit. Lord, our, our, our world, our world needs this grace for men walk without sight no ability to hear and God if they're ever to turn it has to be you you have to do a miracle you have to do for men what they cannot do for themselves Father for those that are in the woke culture those that are caught up in the trans movement they believe it they believe it God to the point of fighting what can we say how can we reason How can we persuade argument to argument? What we need is the Holy Spirit to do a work of grace in their life. That you open their eyes and you open their ears to hear you. You reveal and expose the lies of Satan and his deception. Give us the anointing to preach the gospel to every one of them just want to take a moment let Carla minister just a little bit just worship the Lord and just ask you to just take a moment sit before the Lord and pray and just consider I guess my greatest desire is if you would just take a minute and just really try to discern what is your revelation of the new covenant what is it do you mix it with Moses do you mix it with works do you mix it with the flesh Or do you live by the leading of the Holy Spirit, the joy of the Holy Spirit, the righteousness, the peace of the Holy Spirit? Consider that. You would be very wise to consider that before the Lord this morning. Let the Lord speak to you. Let Him teach you. Do you live your life? Sure, you have a conscious conviction, but do you have a God the Father discipline in your life? There's a difference. There's a difference knowing what's right and what's wrong. There's a difference when God, the Father, treats you as a child of His own and brings you upright. Consider where you are. Consider the work that's going on in your life.